You're listening to the cycling podcast Femina, powered by Super Sapiens, energy management for committed athletes and coaches. Well, would you believe it? We're back already. The Cycling Podcast Feminine coming at you thick and fast this month. We've You probably had hardly any time to miss us, but I can tell you, I've missed my co-hosts. Aww. What can I say? I bet we've been so, missed, uh, really. <laughs> <laughs> Let me introduce uh, Richard Moore, who's looking very sober for a man who spent so much time in Flanders. <laughs> Thank you, Rose. Thank you, Rose. <laughs> and Ola Shenoui. Hello, hello. Is that the hangover kicking in, Richard? Or has it set in? Yeah. <laughs> I think you've got <laughs> the wrong idea. <laughs> I, was, I was there working. I was there working. <laughs> observing. I was observing beer being drunk. By but lots surely, of, lots of surely part of the observational experience is also experiential. You've got to Is this like the journalistic, in. is this the journalistic equivalent of method acting? Exactly. Me- method You're the Daniel Day-Lewis of the cycling podcast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're like uh, Hunter S. Thompson or That's something. A, definitely the nicest thing you've ever said to me or a lot. Um, I, I won't say yeah, which well, movie, but yeah. No, yeah. I, I had my Flemish stew and my Belgian oh. beers and it was, it, was, it was all great. I soaked Freaks it all up. and mayo? Literally. I soaked, it, I soaked up the atmosphere and I soaked up the beer. Did you have, did oh, you have chips and mayo? Yeah, yeah. Did, did oh. all that. Did oh. All. oh, yeah. yeah. Glorious. Oh, that sounds great. Oh, the crowds looked absolutely spectacular. Couldn't believe it. What a return to... It was oh, unbelievable. Big, it was unbelievable. Big championships. Yeah, and it started, you know, even the, the previous uh, weekend in Bruges. Um, the time trials were a moment, I think, where uh, I, I know certainly the, the Flanders organizers we'll hear from thomas van der spiegel the chief executive of Flanders classics who were were co-organizers of the championships and we'll hear from him later in this episode but i think that was a big moment because they had huge ambitions for these world championships which appeared to be derailed by by covid obviously and they've had the races in flanders behind closed doors the last couple of years and there was a bit of uncertainty about how how you know what it would look like having fans by the roadside again and and it was spectacular and it just built up over the course of the week Leuven was a there were two great cities to host the championships Bruges and and Leuven not the most obvious places not not the the places we think of when we think of cycling in Flanders you know we think of Ghent, Oudenard um, and, and, I like and Kortrijk. that I like that it's been somewhere different yeah, they're they're both beautiful cities as well, and and just the right size uh, to really, and and I, we've got the world championships going to Glasgow in a couple of years. And I worry that that Glasgow is a little bit too too big, um, but we'll we'll get to that in a couple of years. But those those two cities, those two cities <laughs> were part time of the, to pair it back. Well, it's, it, I don't know. It, you want Trim to be edges. somewhere where it's the main event, don't you? And. Mm. It, it really will does. be in Glasgow. You know what yeah. you know what the Scots yeah, are like. They'll I'm jump sure right will, behind it. Yeah, oh yeah. I don't don't doubt that for a second. But Leuven was just a sea of people um all out to watch the the bike racing. Uh, you know, we're we're we are still in a pandemic and, and, and you are slightly concerned as well at that and wonder what the repercussions might be. But for a, a weekend at least, people had a great time and the riders loved it too you know the riders were buzzing with it too and and it wasn't just the men's road race on sunday that the women's road races on on saturday were 
were really well attended. There were huge crowds there and the the under twenty three and junior races on Friday as well. There were big crowds throughout and it was it was hugely enjoyable. I tell you what, we're so lucky to be able to go to things like this and it's such a privilege of the job. But watching it from afar this time, especially something like Flanders, I was almost crying every time you saw pictures of the crowds because it was so beautiful and so intense. I was watching it, I was going, oh man, oh man, I want to be there. But at the same time, being able to celebrate vicariously the fact that it was happening and the fact that this was the pinnacle celebration of the sport. I think it just gave such credit to the whole sport of cycling. It was absolutely wonderful to watch. And I deeply, intensely wanted to be there. But all the same, I I just felt actually really proud of the Belgians and really proud of cycling, if that doesn't sound ridiculous. But you just thought, I am lucky to be a fan of this sport. Just look at it. It's mental and it's brilliant. It was absolutely, it was, the scenes were absolutely crazy, but I mean, it's something that you don't actually often hear the riders commenting on, mm. on the crowds, but uh, I know that we'll hear a little bit later on in the show from a few riders and, and they all have kind of a comment to make on those uh, huge crowds. And also we're lucky that the racing was uh, up to par when you have all of those people watching and it being such a celebration of cycling, it could also be a good celebration of racing too. So we're going to go through uh, the women's road race today and we're going to hear from uh, plenty of interviews, actually, Richard. That's how we know that you weren't um, <laughs> totally drunk as a skunk the whole time we were in <laughs> Flanders because we've got loads of interviews. Elisa Longo-Borghini, uh, Anna Henderson, Lizzie Dineman, uh Ruth Winder, and also hearing from Anna van der Breggen, who is obviously uh, now retired after an illustrious career and it's going to be a DS. But let's hear a little bit more uh, about... Uh, what happened in the race in Orla's news roundup? Yes, it's a very limited news roundup, obviously, but I thought it was worthy of it anyway. And I want to start with the uh, junior women's road race. Um, Zoe Backstead of uh, Great Britain taking the gold medal there, beating Kaya Schmidt of the US in a two-woman sprint with Linda Reedman of Germany finishing in third. And Reedman led home the chasing group to win bronze ahead of Elisa Ayun of the Netherlands and Michaela McPherson of the US and Zoe Backstead of course the surname uh, if nothing else is very familiar to us already she's been making uh, a name for herself of herself in recent years a 16 year old finished second in the world junior time trial a few days before she comes from excellent cycling stock as we know the younger sister of Trek Sigafredo rider Eleanor the daughter of former British road race champion Megan Hughes and Tour de France stage winner as well as Prairie Roubaix winner Magnus Backstead now if you haven't seen this already I'm sure many listeners will have done but you have got to check out the uh, video that's online of Magnus commentating he commented at both the time trial and the road race for us at Eurosport and GCN and his reaction action to Zoe winning the road race honest to goodness they played it for us before we went on air and I'm so glad they did because I started to cry it was really really beautiful because you cannot help but put yourself in Magnus's position and imagine being a parent commentating on your youngest child becoming world champion it was phenomenal his head was in his hands you could hear him struggling to breathe almost Absolutely beautiful. Anyway, congratulations to Zoe. It was a wonderful, wonderful win. Um, 
on to the elite women's road race then. And once again, all the talk was of Dutch dominance. And once again, as at the Olympic Games, the women in orange had to settle for silver. This time, a very different race with Elisa Balsamo of Italy taking the biggest victory of her career. She had a perfect lead out from her teammates with Elisa Longoborghini, the last uh, of them to peel off. Mariana Voss tried to use the two Italians in front of her to launch her sprint. And many of us, I think I'm safe in saying, thought it was an inevitability in the run into the line that Voss would take her fourth world title. But no, Balsamo held her off for her first world title. Well, no, her second world title. Sorry, she did win the juniors in 2016, was it? Um, and Cassia Nivia Duma winning bronze for Poland. That's her first world championship medal. Um, only the second win of the season for Balsamo and a first Italian world's road title since Georgia Bronzini in 2011. But remarkably, that is the fifth time that Mariana Voss has finished second to an Italian at the Worlds. Uh, we had Bastianelli, Goderzo, Bronzini twice and now Balsamo. Uh, the Dutch did an incredible job with Ellen van Dijk and Annemiek van Vleuten putting in huge turns to nullify an attack by Mavi Garcia on the final uh, lap of 15 and a half kilometres. Garcia was caught with 11k to go in the Kaisersberg and Demi Vollering, who had terrible bad luck with mechanicals earlier in the race, hit the front before Lucinda Brand and Rachel Nalen attacked together. We had a thrilling last lap with Van Dijk, Elisa Longoborghini, Mariana Voss, Alison Jackson and Cassia Neviadoma going clear with five and a half K to go. They were caught. Neviadoma put in some amazing attacks. It looked like we could have been seeing shades of Amsel Gold in 2019 at one stage with Mariana Voss on her wheel. But it was the Italians and the Dutch who had numbers coming into the final. Seven Dutch in the final eight kilometres remarkably. Five Italians. But it was the Italians who got to the line first uh, with Balsamo winning her second rainbow jersey, as I said, after the junior race in 2016. It was a final race of Anna van der Breche, as you say, and Ruth Winder, who both retired from professional racing, with Ruth Winder since announcing she's to serve as a representative of the women's peloton to the UCI. And it ends a four-year spell in control of the rainbow jersey for the Dutch. So next year, it's the Italians who can take eight riders to the start line. So how will that change things in the next year and years to come? Um, That's your very uh, brief news roundup. Can I add one race to Orla? Oh, the, yeah, the, you may. The Tour, Tour Cycliste Femina International de l'Ardèche. <laughs> yes, because you we may. Had, we had Leah Thomas twice in last week's podcast and forgot to mention that she, of course, won that race. I did have week. it in my news roundup I last know. week and you told me to take it out. It did I know, I know, so I, I know. did. It it's all on me. It's all on me. <laughs> So yes. belatedly, congratulations, yeah, to, congratulations Leah to Leah for Thomas for winning Thomas. in Ardèche. And congratulations for featuring in our podcast twice with us forget- forgetting to mention it. Well, we've mentioned yeah. it now. <laughs> Still guessing on fueling? Not sure what or when to eat or drink on rides that matter? Never again. Optimise your fueling strategy with real-time glucose data, actionable insights and personalised analytics. We're here to help you achieve your performance goals. Go to supersapiens.com for more on how to track your energy levels and fuel for success. Well, thank you very much to Super Sapiens for their support of the Cycling Podcast Feminine and the rest of the Cycling Podcast family. Right, guys, we've got so much to talk about, about that uh, road race. What are your initial uh, takeaways? Orly, you mentioned that uh, the Dutch dominance faltering uh, once again. Do you think it was 
Was it them faltering or was it Italian strength coming through for that Balsamo victory? Uh, you cannot take anything away from the Italians in that. You absolutely can't. Um, I think the Dutch did a really good job. Um, it was interesting that Marianne Vos said at the end she thought maybe the team could have worked together a little bit more. I mean... You look at Lucinda Brand, at Annemiek van Vleuten, at Ellen van Dijk. They were phenomenal. And that those three plus Marianne Vos should be enough to win a world championships, really. You know, in the effort they put in together. Um, it was interesting that Anna van der Brecha was so happy, despite, you know, not being able to continue her job right until the very end. One suspects her mind was perhaps a little bit elsewhere. And, you know, bad luck for Damie Vollering. Um I mean, bad luck, or was she ever really their key rider anyway, given the fact that her bike wasn't on the edge of the car whenever um, it needed replacing and the the front wheel wasn't in and everything, so she clearly wasn't their number one or two. Um, But I think the Dutch did a good job. They did a solid job. Um, Maybe, again, did they have too many options? You know, they're not all in for one person. But the Italians were brilliant, and they were so cohesive, and it's easy to say that whenever a team has won because you know, your perspective is shaded by the glory and by the victory and the the outcome that then feels inevitable. But I don't think you can take away from it, especially given the fact that we got to the finale in what would what was a perfect case scenario for the Dutch, barring an Annemiek van Vleuten or an Anna van der Brecha attack from the flag, which, you know, could have been just as likely. But, you know, the last couple of worlds that they've won have been with long solo attacks because it's easier to control. If it's going to come down to a sprint finish, that was pretty much the perfect scenario. Either Marianne Voss or Demi Vollering right on the wheel of two teammates, you know. The fact that Voss didn't get close really says everything. And uh, we were sitting watching on the sofa at Eurosport and all three of us, me, Joe Rysel and Danny Christmas, were all going, oh, Voss, Voss, Voss. You know, it, we, we weren't even calling it. We were just declaring, obviously, that's who the winner was. But she didn't even pull level to Elisa Balsamo. And it didn't even look as if sometimes in those scenarios where the rider's coming from behind, you think, oh, if, if the finish line had been a little bit further, then the outcome would have been different. It wouldn't. There is no scenario in which the outcome would have been any different other than Elisa Balsamo winning that sprint so I think you cannot take anything away from the Italians they were they were brilliant I think that probably seven times out of ten Marina Voss wins that sprint and a question that was asked afterwards was well where where was her lead out she didn't need a lead out she had the perfect lead out from Elisa Longo-Borghini and Elisa Balsano in front of her she was in the perfect place to win the race her legs gave up on her and you know there are so many parallels between the discussion about the Dutch team on, on Saturday and the Belgian team in the men's race on Sunday, you can ride a very good race and get your tactics, your strategy kind of right. In cycling, there isn't right and wrong. It, it's it's a far more complicated thing than that. And we always, as I said in the po- the other podcast, I, we, always, we always judge these things on their outcomes, you know? Voss was in the perfect place to win the race and her legs, she didn't have the legs when it came to the, the sprint. Um, Wout van Aert was in the perfect place to go with Alaphilippe when he attacked, but he couldn't. And that that's just ultimately what made the difference. Kasia Niviadoma would have been a very deserving winner. You know, she was the, the most attacking rider whenever the road went up and there just wasn't a tough enough climb for her to make the difference. So it was an astonishing ride by her to get a bronze medal after making all these efforts, I thought. Um... And yeah, Voss was very, very disappointed. And I'm sure in the immediate aftermath, she probably thought that her team might have been able to do better for her. But I'm not really sure that they could have. And I think 
Daniel Freib disagreed with this. He he didn't feel that they had worked uh, as well for her as they could have done. But I think they were also right to to hedge their bets a bit because you know you've got a team with Annemiek van Vluten and Demi Vollering and all these other writers, Amy Peters and all these other writers, Chantal Black, um, who who all could have potentially won. So uh, you know I think. In the end, as you say, Orla, uh, the Italians rode a brilliant race. And while we were watching the Dutch all day, which is another factor, I think, which makes makes it difficult for them, the Italians always had numbers up there. They were always, uh, as you say, cohesive. And they had one focus. And, and that can be uh, a, a strength as well. Um, and it's determined by the, the team that you have, the riders that you have on your team. And they had one really good sprinter um well they had marta bastianelli as well but she's maybe not quite at that level anymore but balsano is a is a, an up-and-coming rider and elisa longo borghini who did such a brilliant job leading her out or maybe leading out marina voss had voss <laughs> won it um, she at the end said that they always had complete faith in in balsano but she would say that wouldn't she and um, we should hear from longo borghini shouldn't we because what always impresses me about the italians and you've probably noticed this this too but they, the other thing, and this maybe is a factor too, but they are a real team. And you see it in, in the podium celebrations. Whenever there's an Italian world champion, and we see this at the velodrome and at the road, the riders, the other riders in the team come together, put their arms around each other and sing the national anthem and often break down in tears. And and, and, and this, we see this among the men and the women in, in the track and on the road. And Longo Borghini was in a real hurry because she didn't want to miss the, the podium with her teammates. And... I get that sense from the Italians more than I do with any any other team. And that surely is a factor in the way that they, you know, they were incredible over the course of the week in Flanders, it has to be said. Elisa, um, a fantastic day for you and you had a, a, a very important job to play there. Yeah, it was uh, just planned and everything worked out the way that we wanted it. Uh, yeah, it, just, it was just an amazing day. Were you confident she could beat Voss in a sprint like that? Yeah, absolutely. From yeah, if you don't believe in your teammate, then it's better not to work for her. But uh, we always believe in our unity, and we are we are a team, we are a squadra. So that's that's what really worked the most. What did you think of the course and the race? I thought the yeah, it was a little bit a sleepy race until the the very end, and then it was like a big crit. It was nice. Great. Enjoy the podium. Thank you. I find it lovely to hear Lisa Longo-Borghini saying exactly as you said there, Rich, about, about the teamwork and saying we're a squadra. You know, I think that just sums them up. But Rosa, I'm interested in your take. You've been asking us whether we think the Dutch did anything wrong or the Italians just got it right. What was your take on the race? I think, um, no, I think the Italians had it really. They, I mean, they've over the years actually been the team that are the, the team that trip up uh, the Dutch riders. I remember when it was the European Championships in Scotland I can't remember when that was but again it was that same scenario as we had also at the Olympics this year and we had at the World Championships this year everyone's looking at the Dutch squad and they've got the numbers they've got the big names and it's the Italians who tripped them up there with a Marta Bastianelli win so I think that they um, like you said Richard that they work very well as a team uh, in a way that other teams don't you know when you're working with a trade team all year long and then you suddenly have to the people that were your um, uh, your teammates then become your rivals. It can be a really hard switch, but I think the Italians kind of have mastered that. But I also think that they 
stacked their team much more with fast finishers like Elena Cecchini, obviously, and sprinters like Marta Bastinelli. So I think they must have been uh, focusing on the outcome being quite a uh, you know a decent sized pack of riders coming to the line, which I certainly didn't think was going to happen. And I think uh, well, hearing Anna Henderson talk, she said, uh, well, we'll hear from her a little bit later on, but you know she seemed surprised with the outcome um, of the race in a way that I think the Italians must have been planning the whole time to. Although you know I say all these fast finishes and sprinters. The fact that it was Elisa Longo Borghini that led them out, who is probably the rider, the one rider on that team that you would have said wasn't the sprinter, kind of shows the strength and, and depth that they had. And I think they were very quiet all the way through, which, you know, the, the Dutch were just kind of burning their matches um, at, like they should do, because if someone like uh, Van Floyten is going to win, then, you know, you, you're always sure an Annemiek Van Floyten win with 20k to go because she's already made the solo move and she's holding on to the end. So I think they needed, the Dutch needed that tactic to use up those riders earlier because that's the way that they win. They win solo in that way. But the Italians were kind of saving, keeping their powder dry for that that fast finish at the end. I wonder as well how much they benefited from Balsamo not being a prolific winner. As mm. I said earlier, she's only won one other race this season, as Danny Christmas pointed out to me um, in our show, she wins a lot of the bunch sprints behind. So you know that she's got a sharp, fast finish, but not she hasn't been the one to the line first. So I wonder how much they benefited from that. And just to go back to what you said, Richard, about Daniel saying that the Dutch got it wrong in not going all in for Mariana Voss. I can't see how they could have done it any other way because mm. I would have, I would think on that course, if you're going to go all in for one person, it would arguably be Damie Vollering. And if they'd done that, obviously she had her terrible mechanical misfortunes. Um, could it have been different? Who knows? But I think it would have been absolutely the wrong thing for the Dutch to go all in for Mariana Voss because I don't think she was as out and out a favourite on that squad, given the squad that they have, that, that she would need to be for them to commit all of their champions to her cause. There's also no way that I think Belsamo would have won had the Dutch team not been wearing all of the riders out and making everyone's legs mm. exhaust- exhausted. If the Dutch squad had, like other squads had been, just been waiting for that fast finish at the end to send Marianne Voss ahead, then I think there would have been a much bigger group mm. at the finish and, and it would have been they someone who the was... lead out. But yeah. Voss... Voss Voss was looked after and really, you know, she was she didn't have to attack. She just had to follow. Mm. And there was a moment where she found herself in a little break off the front. She didn't contribute mm-hmm. to it. You know, she was waiting for that that sprint and she had the perfect setup. I was standing beside a, a member of, of the Jumbo Visma staff at the finish and he was absolutely stunned by the result because it looked, you know, coming to the final kilometre, it was set up perfectly for Marina Voss. And we've seen her millions of times not probably not even exaggerating no i am but we've seen her lots of times <laughs> win from that kind of situation and i would have put a lot of money at that point on her winning so it was, it was a surprise result in the end and of course the minute it happens we say oh the dutch got it wrong and the italians yeah. got it right but the margins are small and in the end she didn't have the legs i tell you what if you if you'd been standing next to a team uh, a staff member from Trek Segafredo, that would have been fun. Can you imagine their reaction? Well, of course, Balsano will, yeah, join that team and become a, a teammate of Longo Borghini's next year. And they she? got her signed before she had the rainbow <laughs> bands so on her true. back. And we were laughing in the studio afterwards saying, um, 
you know, she could have maybe commanded a higher fee mm. uh, with the rainbow jersey. But as I pointed out, that might be, you know, 20 euros over the course of two years <laughs> with a woman's contract. I'm being very flippant, but um, still, it's a good old a good old situation for Trek to be in, that's for sure. Definitely. And it'd be interesting because I imagine she was going to that team uh, not with any expectation mm. that she would be being a leader next year. I'm sure she was going into that team with the expectation that she would be uh, in a domestique role or kind of just slowly growing into her role as being a leader. But kind of when you've got the rainbow stripes, you you kind of have to be the person to look to, don't you? So it'd be really exciting to see what, what she does next year. Were there anyone, was there anyone that you thought could have done better or should have been higher up in the rankings than you expected or anyone big major absentees did you think dare i say lots of kebeki dare i (laughs) (laughs) typical Ah, typical (laughs) well typical lots of kebeki no not at all Uh, finishing in 16th you've got to feel for her you've got to think that um, almost what you're saying, Rose, about the Dutch making it so hard that that's what did it for her because it wasn't the climbing, it wasn't the course itself. It was all those accelerations coming out of corners. It was all the short, you know, the short, sharp attacks. The pace just seemed to be unforgiving, mm. and she just ended up on the wrong side of a split. What was it within the final 50k? And it's going to be so hard to get back at that stage whenever the race is fully on. She's got to be disappointed with that just because, you know, she'll know the roads well and obviously she had the huge home support behind her. That obviously comes with an awful lot of pressure. Um, so I, I feel disappointed for her more than anything else. Of course. Richard, is anyone that caught no, you No, I would have said Lotte Capecchi as well. Again, it was it was a, a great um, great chance for her, I think. Especially with the, the the way the race finished, um, you know, you you might have fancied her being in that in that group, um, and so, yeah, uh, kind of a disappointing week for the Belgians overall. Really, um, no no gold medals at all, and a few medals, but no golds. And uh, you know, for all that, the crowds were amazing and confirmed that that Flanders is the the heartland of cycling. A tinge of disappointment around. The, the failure to win win any of the world titles. To turn it the other way around, though, what about Catavas, mm. Arlena oh, yes. Sierra, oh, yeah. and Alison Jackson? Phenomenal results for those three, I think. Yeah, it's amazing that we spend all this time talking about teamwork and whose team worked best, mm. and then you have all of these finishers who are uh, either the you know the lone representative of their nation or, or in very very small teams that you know weren't weren't really able to help them. Um, and then they can get these results. So it kind of shows you that if you have a few teams that are working well, you can kind of ride their wheels and and do very well. But, you know, Kashi Nividoma also coming third is um, very impressive on a, that kind of sprint finish. I don't think anyone would have expected when it came down to that finish line that she would have been she would have been up there. And Blanca Vass was... She did. She did the same as Cassia Doma almost because she was very active mm. in the race. We saw on the attack a lot. She's only twenty years old. Joining SD Works next year and finished fourth. She's already real, at SD Works actually. Not to corrections oh, corner. She's already. Uh, <laughs> oh sorry. She, sorry. She, she joined. She joined the them of the this year. year. Yeah, but she's actually. Uh, that's the second. Uh, incredible fourth place if that if you can say that that she had because she also was fourth in the um olympic games in the mountain biking which just shows um that she's one of these kind of 
multidiscipline, a bit, bit like in the men's um, side, Tom Pidcock, one of these multidiscipline um, types. Well, one squad that would also have been probably a little bit disappointed with their finish was the British squad. Um, they had Pfeiffer Georgie there. We saw Anna Henderson up there. Uh, Lizzie Dydon came in at uh, 14th. Um, and let's hear from Anna Henderson and Lizzie Dynan now about how their race went. I saw you in Spain a, a couple of weeks ago and you were you said you needed a, a break at that point. The break obviously did you a bit of good because you rode very well today. How, how do you reflect on the race? Yeah, I mean, it was a pretty hectic start and uh, yeah, I was like, oh, I don't know how my legs are going to feel today. But yeah, once we hit the Flandrian circuit, Pfeiffer positioned me and Lizzie so well and we could save so much energy. And yeah, my legs really woke up and uh, yeah, once we hit the local laps, yeah, I just tried to follow everything and make sure that Lizzie could save energy and yeah, put myself in a good position as well in case yeah, an opportunity did arise. But yeah, unfortunately, we did everything right today, I think. But yeah, you can't win them all and yeah, I'm already looking forward to next year as well because I think we have a really strong team coming up and yeah, I think we can do really well in the future. Was it all about Lizzie today? Yeah, there was a yeah a small uh, opportunity for me to go for it, and uh, yeah, I, I put myself in the position to do that, and yeah, I'm just uh, lacking that experience, and hopefully in the future I can uh, yeah get more experience under the guidance of Lizzie and the rest of BC, and hopefully we can see some more results in the future. There were moments though where you know the race was breaking up. You were there, you were always there, and you seemed to be following people. I'm not saying easily, but you seemed to be capable of following some of those attacks. Yeah, I felt pretty good on the circuit and yeah, I was like, if these go, then there's the opportunity and then I have Lizzie behind. So yeah, it was just a case of making sure that we had all bases covered today and yeah, you can't win them all. What, what kind of race was it? Just, I think, yeah, I blinked and it was finished. Like, it was so fast and yeah, really attritional and yeah, I wasn't expecting, uh, yeah, such a small group to go to the finish and yeah, I mean, Belgium just made it so special. I couldn't, I couldn't feel my legs most of the time because you couldn't hear them, so, because the crowds are so big, so yeah, it was one of the best worlds I've ever done to be honest, apart from Yorkshire, obviously. Are you riding uh, Pyro-Roubaix next week? Yes, Roubaix next week and then Nationals, so yeah, three more races to go and then I can hit my bed. <laughs> Felt strong, felt fit, but just I hadn't got any speed at the end. I, I really felt just lacking in speed, and it I just I couldn't follow when I needed to. I was legless at the end. But um, huge shout out to my teammates. I think that was the best kind of GB performance that we've done in a few years. So that's a positive. Felt good in uh, all the climbing circuits. It was literally the speed of the Leuven circuit. I think you know we're at the end of a long season, and it's kind of the first thing that goes. You can be in keep that kind of shape in terms of your fitness but top end speed is uh, the off season's coming anyway uh, my plan was to try and surf wheels I wanted to try and stick to Ross's wheel but obviously that was highly uh, contended wheel and um, I just lost it on that last corner and just never came back really I really expected more fireworks on the climbs around Overizer and it didn't happen so uh, you know I saved so much energy thanks to my teammates on that circuit so that's Seb PK interrupting this episode of the Cycling Podcast Feminine to remind us to tell you that it is sponsored by Babbel. Babbel is the fun and effective way of learning a new language using bite-sized lessons to teach you words and phrases that you will actually use in the real world. And with travel opening up and the prospect of foreign trips resuming for lots of people, now is the time to make sure you're prepared and able when the moment comes to make those deeper connections when you're abroad. 
I use Babbel to improve my French and I find their lessons fun as well as effective. They're interactive, so you're not just passively learning the vocab and the grammar. You're trying out your pronunciation and filling in the blanks and passages of dialogue. It can feel more like a game than a learning tool and it's made a big difference to my French over the past year. Babbel's 15-minute lessons make it the perfect way to learn a new language on the go. Babbel designs their courses with practical, real-world conversations in mind, things that you'll get to use in everyday life. And while other language learning apps use AI for their lesson plans, Babbel lessons were created by over 100 language experts, meaning real people, so you learn useful vocab and not meaningless phrases. Babbel's teaching method has been scientifically proven to be effective across multiple studies. It's available as an app or online, and your progress will be synced across all your devices. Babbel has recently launched their own learning podcast as well, so you can brush up on your Spanish or French while cooking or exercising. And with Babbel, you can choose from 14 different languages, including Spanish, French, Italian, and German. Plus, Babbel's speech recognition technology helps you to improve your pronunciation and accent. I know this only too well. Being told to try again when my pronunciation is a little bit off. Who needs the pronunciation police? So start your new language learning journey today with Babbel. Right now, Babbel is offering our listeners six months free with a purchase of a six-month subscription with the promo code CYCLING. Go to uk.babbel.com forward slash play and use the promo code CYCLING for an extra six months free. That's uk.babbel.com forward slash play. Promo code CYCLING. Cryptic criteria. <laughs> this has taken a lot of brain power to come up with um, two cryptic criteriums in such uh, short order. Um, but I thought this was a very good stopping point, knowing what we're going to be talking about a bit later, to launch this cryptic criteria. I'm going to get on with it. The, the score is uh, Richard two, all a three, at the moment. Um, okay, this person is a re- very recently retired. Receptacle for lubricant. <laughs> <laughs> what? How can you throw that away? <laughs> I actually think this one is quite hard. I'll be honest, it is quite hard. It is quite hard. What the frick? I don't even know. What's a receptacle for lubricant? Yeah, I don't even know where my brain jar. <laughs> can I go with this? Okay, so the um, jelly pot. <laughs> the lubricant bit, obviously, you know, lubricant <laughs> could be used you as lubricant, but you also lubricant. yeah, you also use it in your car, and you also use it oil, um, oil can, oil ah, can oil, can you oil? Yes, you got it, Caroline, can you oil? You got oh it, and you weren't God. even sure that you yes. got it, and you got it. I mean, <laughs> get in! <laughs> I got the lubricant pot. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I'm, so I'm, I'm deliberately. Oh, I, I didn't, How does it feel over there, well, I, I wasn't even taking part, or oh. I, I didn't. I didn't want to be. I didn't. I didn't want to risk saying anything in response to that. <laughs> About so lubricant. Oh, just, I just thought I'd, I'd let you have that one. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. For, Whatever. Sure, Nobody sure. listening believes you, Richard. You're just, you're just yourself. You're just doing a Longo Borghini here and leading me out to an eventual, eventual <laughs> victory. I've, I've still lots of Unless time to come back. Unless you're the Mariana Voss. Yeah. In which case yeah. you're staying behind me. My legs will go. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> anyway, that's no reflection on Caroline Canuel. 
Um, yeah, I mean, don't want to be I, her to be called a receptacle for lubricant. But it's a terrible. Well, you have done that. A now, terrible. So, I mean, that's on you and nobody else. It was, yeah, that one. Yeah, it's not not my best one. But there you go. It gives all of the points. So it's uh, four two to all of us. Oh, quite. Wow. Uh, you come. This feels come lovely over behind here. Though. That's amazing. Nice and cozy and warm. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, Carol Ann Canuel uh, was one of the uh, notable retirees at the end of the women's. Oh no, she didn't retire from the road race, but she is retiring. Finishing her career, um, she was one of the key domestiques for Bowles Dolmens uh, in many of their years, uh, their big winning years. Um, but uh, and not probably- Caroline Vazelin. I mean, I've never, no, I've, I've, never I've never even thought of her as Caroline Can of Oil either. So anyway, <laughs> well now you do. Well now, so yeah, but go. I mean, that's the magic of it. That's the exactly. magic. Shame of she's retiring. <laughs> Don't be such a sore loser, Richard. <laughs> Onward. Are we, are we moving on to other uh, retirees? We are trying to ring squirrel. Yeah, well, exactly. A star yeah. of, a, of a previous uh, cryptic criterion. She wasn't the amongst, star. Amongst, amongst her many achievements in her Palmares, she was also a star of our cryptic criterion, which I'm yeah. sure is one of the proudest moments of her uh, career. No Should doubt. Be. So... Uh, Anna van der Breggen um, retiring. Obviously, we knew it was coming uh, all year. She's going to become a DS now at SD Works, staying with the team that she's she's at. And um, yeah, I mean, she, she sounded. I mean, we're going to hear from her in a minute, Richard. But she sounded she sounds more delighted about retiring than she and, does and, about and, winning Festival cor- seven Corrections times. corner. I think she's already a DS because I saw pictures of her out on ah. the Pirate Bay Recon today in the team car. So this. Yeah, this was the speculation that she would already be in a team car for Pirate Bay, which I find almost as exciting as the race itself. That's going to be amazing, wow. isn't it? I would be terrified. That would not be the race I wanted to start DSing at. But. Just before we hear from her, I mean, it was it was very interesting. Uh, Marina Voss was asked afterwards about about Van der Breggen. She's been a, a teammate and a rival over the years. And she, she said, you know, it's funny because I can remember Van der Breggen emerging you know i can remember her as the young rider who was going to challenge voss and you know her career has has come and gone in the course of voss's very long and, yeah. and glittering career and i think that that was because she's still quite young you know she's she's going out quite early really um but in the last few weeks she's gone off the boil a bit hasn't she she has been struggling for for form a little bit and the sense i had speaking to her afterwards was overwhelmingly one of relief i think that She's going to move into another phase of her life. It was special today, special race. Of course, in the beginning, I was just focused to do my job and uh, to try to do well. And then I could feel, okay, I'm, um, it's finished, <laughs> big time. So uh, then we had actually two last laps here on the circuit quite easy. And that was really special just to see so many people um, yeah, saying goodbye to me and saying thank you. And, and not only the people on the side of the road, but also from my group, they, they also could feel it special that so many people are there and, and cheering. So uh, I think it was a pretty special last race and I'm happy I could do it. I think, yeah, I also worked towards this this day, actually. So I'm also quite happy that, that it's finished now and I yeah can do different things. So Is it a sort of sense of relief that you feel as well, a little bit? Yeah. Yeah, and also I'm grateful for, for a day like this. Uh, if there would not be people around here, if it was not allowed, it would not be a day like this. And 
and to have a world championships in Belgium. Uh, yeah, everybody feels now how special it is to have so many people enjoying cycling. And uh, yeah, at least I enjoyed them. And, and yeah, they made me really feel like uh, um, I did something special and, uh, and I'm very happy they were here. Do you feel, I mean, you're moving into a, a new phase in, in your life. Do you feel, you know, absolutely happy and content that you've made the right decision and you're excited about that? Yeah. Yeah. yeah because yeah, there's yeah. so much more to add. I'm, I'm also happy it's finished and I'm totally ready for the next step. Yeah. Have you had any moments this year when you've wondered whether you should carry on? <laughs> no, actually not, not once. I mean, sometimes you have, yeah, in the beginning maybe, when you really have trained for it and you have good races and you win races of course I'm gonna miss it sometimes to have that feeling but I, I don't know yet I mean I'm still in the races so maybe after half a year you think like oh I want to do one again or you see you're riding in the bunch so you really feel how it's like in the bunch maybe when you're in the car you I will get the feeling like oh, I want to feel in the bunch but I don't know yet um, I'm ready to find out as for the race, I guess the, the perfect ending would have been a, a Dutch win and that didn't quite happen. Um, yeah. A lot of pressure on, on your, your team. Um, you know, what's your sort of analysis of, of how the race went? I don't know because I didn't see it. <laughs> um, but yeah, we came here to win this race and, and many of the team could win it and we're ready for it, I think. But it was also a circuit which, which was difficult to win because uh, a lot more girls could win it. Than, than maybe a circuit which is really tough with climbs or yeah so we knew it was going to be hard to win this race uh, I heard Mariana was pretty close um, so yeah I don't know I will talk to the girls later how they feel about it and yeah I'm happy I could help them anyway I think it's funny, Richard, that you said, or it was you, Rose, actually, before that interview, that she sounded more delighted in retirement than she maybe ever did in racing. Um, and it's one thing that, Richard, you've always said about watching her, that you just didn't feel that sort of passion or animation, I guess. I just, I've been so in awe of her, and I don't know if, as well, I mean, it's it's obvious with her Palmaris and with everything that she's achieved, but I don't know if part of me is contrary because you've always said, Richard, that she doesn't necessarily excite you because she's so dominant and she's like a diesel, um, that I do find her exciting or I have found her exciting because to be able to do what she's done and the way that she's done it just blows my mind. Um, the coverage in the Dutch press has been really lovely. We had one news outlet calling her a Koeninger, which is a queen. Um, the Telegraph called her a Villericon, a, a cycling icon. And I think she's getting the kind of credit that often in women's cycling we would bemoan a rider not getting. Um, certainly she's recognised here for being what she is, which is one of the greatest that the sport has ever seen. And I think I'm maybe coloured as well by watching interviews with her in Dutch, where she's clearly a little bit more comfortable expressing her personality. Um, and she just has always seemed, in contrast to what she is on the bike, like someone who's really sweet and gentle. And she's not someone who embraces all the attention that comes with being a huge, successful cyclist in the Netherlands. She just quietly gets on with it. Um, but I just, you know, even... For us to say she's kind of gone off the board in the last couple of weeks and yet, you know, she started her final season as a double world champion. She won a record seventh flesh Wallon, a fourth title at the Giro Donna, a bronze medal at the Olympic time trial. I mean, to go out, that being your final season, which would be the pinnacle of any other rider's career, 
is phenomenal and I think we have to give her such credit for doing what so many top athletes say they want to do and so few ever manage and that's going out at the very top. Her last race was her first race of this year not wearing the rainbow bands and that's because she was riding the world championships. Um, I just, just her entire career has given me such goosebumps and I think women's cycling has an awful lot to thank her for because I think um, with her seventh flesh will on, for example, um, you know, a lot of people maybe wanted to see something different and they wanted to see a different kind of a winner, but she has shown what dominance looks like in women's cycling. And I find that really exciting. And and I say that with the massive caveat that she's not been entirely dominant, of course, because um, it's in certain races, but to be able to, st- for all of us to celebrate that seventh flesh will on, which no man has ever done um, in her last season, I just think we should be very grateful for what she's done to the sport and the level that she's taken it to. She's she's left a, a legacy that very few riders, I think, will ever get to enjoy, male or female. I think she also kind of provide. you say about her dominance, but she has also provided us with a great rivalry. And I know that uh, Annemiek van Floyter actually listens to this podcast and also has said to me the past how everyone always talks about Anna versus Annemiek all the time, um, you know, talk about something else. But I'm not going to talk about something else. I'm going to talk about that. Um, but, you know, it's, that, it's the fact that um, it hasn't been as much as when she wins a race, she wins it and it seems like it couldn't have gone any other way. You know, she when Anna van der Breggen wins a race, it, it's by such huge margins. Like, you know, when you mentioned that Giro Rosa win um, this year and it was just imperious and, you know, sending 12 riders outside the time limit on an incredibly short time trial. Um, but it, it isn't like that. When you're watching her, her race, there is that, that great rivalry. And I think that's an an important part. It's kind of... Um, that she's offered us these two titans, Annemiek van Floyten and Anna van der Breggen, for them to go head to head, to have two riders that are so different from each other, but so perfectly matched against each other. I think if you had one without the other, then, well, we'll see next year, I guess, when we have Annemiek van Floyten and we don't have Anna van der Breggen, what, you know, how exciting does that make the racing? But I think that is a, also a key um, point, is that the dominance has not been... Uh, totally overwhelming in that you know you start a race and you know she's going to win it that's certainly when I've enjoyed watching her race the most when when she and Annemiek van Vluten have gone head to head and both been you know on top of their game that's because some of her wins have been so dominant they've left me a little bit cold I mean the Innsbruck World Championship that we're all and I were at you know you, you don't want the race to be decided with an hour to go I don't and and so but that was an interesting experience as well because we Orla met some of her friends didn't we at the finish line and she had won in this dare I say it you know quite robotic way um as she sometimes did and and yet in the press conference you mentioned that to her that you'd met her her very good sort of childhood friends and we saw it there a completely different side of her far more uh, human side of her which was interesting and I think we saw that again or I saw that again on on Saturday after the race when she just relaxed into um the next phase of her life you know she already she'd kind of clocked off and she was she was relaxed and and happy and and satisfied and I think with somebody like that and and you see it with other you know dominant riders as well that sometimes when they're dominant you're 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 wanting somebody else to come along to to, to give them uh, a good fight but when they retire you look back and you think we were privileged to 
witness that rider at the top of their powers and that's definitely the case with her i'm sure she's brought some of her rivals up to a new level just by her um you know through her her ability and we can certainly I, I definitely call her you know one of the greats that's not in question at all um her record is incredible so she retires with her um legacy very very much one that will be held up for many years to come yeah and i think one of the amazing things is to be so content you can hear in yeah. the, the interview that she is, is so content but it has been a long time coming and i think uh there was another um, another rider who uh, retired after the World Championship road race was Ruth Winder. I think we'll hear um, from her um, now. And she, and her reaction uh, is seems quite... She sounded very emotional, which obviously... She was you know, very emotional, only, yeah. Yeah, but it was quite a different kind of response to uh, it being uh, her her last race. You obviously quite emotional. When, when did the emotion hit you? Was it just as soon as you finished? Yeah, as soon as I finished, uh, my fiancé was just stood there right after the finish line, so I got to see it, yeah. Did you allow, during the race, were you thinking at all about it being the last one, or was it something you didn't allow yourself to think about? Maybe I had the thought once or twice, like, as I was, there was a couple moments when you're a bit stressed, and you're, like, looking at the kilometres going down, and I just took a breath, and I'm like, it's okay, just, it's okay, you've got 120 kilometres left, or, you know, whatever, so. And, and was there, were you sort of trying time to take it in as well, for that same reason? Um, during the neutral, I really tried to because it was, you know, you're just chill in the neutral and there were so many fans when we left Antwerp and, and so just like a really, really cool feeling to have the neutral through the city like that. There's so many moments, um, so many moments and so many memories, but I mean, luckily, sometimes on cycling teams, you, you just have colleagues that are teammates and sometimes you make really good friends and those people will still be in my life past today, you know, they're going to be my friends for the rest of my life and, and that's really special to me, so I mean, I have so many memories just from the act of racing itself, but there's so much time we spend together out of the racing and, and just sitting around the dinner table, you know, talking about both or whatever you know so <laughs> I'm really lucky to have had a pretty successful career um, lots of good ones I think I think uh, winning nationals in the US was a big one with Taylor there she's one of my like I said one of my best friends and so having someone like that with you there and honestly in 2013 I was on the US national team and we won the Giro Rosa with Mara Abbott and uh, that's when I remember really learning how to work as a team and uh, I think just things like that that are invaluable that I learned just teamwork and, and just really committing with a group of people together and I've been able to experience that same feeling many many times whether I'm working for someone or when I won Santos Tour Down Under when the team was working for me you know I've, I really feel that and it's a really special feeling to have a group of people come together for a, for a goal. I love cycling I want to stay in the sport somehow um, and you know I think that I'm going to just be such a fangirl of the sport too so I'm, I'm excited for what's next yeah I'm not I don't have anything like exactly that I want to do I'm lucky that I have a really really strong community back in Boulder uh, Colorado where I live or up in Netherlands now I moved up the mountain but um I think I'll, I'll hopefully have some opportunities that come my way, but I would love to coach somehow, and and we'll see. Um, the, I was uh, trying to get the riders, the UCI riders. Um, uh, why am I blanking now? The election for the commission to be a represent the representative of the women's peloton. That's what it is. Yeah. <laughs> Um, for the UCI, so that's not a job, but it's something to stay involved with the women's peloton, and I'll have to communicate with 
lots of the current riders still to make sure I'm keeping up with everybody and everything. So that'll be exciting to kind of see it from a different point of view. Never not been a professional cyclist. I've been racing since I can remember and I have no idea what I'm going to miss and what I'm not going to miss. I'm trying not to set expectations on how I will feel. Um, because I don't think that would be very smart of me, but I'm, sh I'm sure there's going to be parts that I miss. I don't know that I'm going to miss racing on the cobbles in Belgium in the spring. I don't know that I'm going to miss, like I said, having a roommate most nights that I'm gone on the road, but I'm, I'm sure I'm going to miss parts of it for sure. Like, I mean, this, this, it's a great sport to be a part of. I was super excited to be racing in Belgium for my last, for this, for this World Championships, because I knew the, I knew the crowds were going to be amazing. Um, Belgians, Belgians love their cycling, and not just Belgian fans are here, there's fans from everywhere, so it was super cool, it's always fun to have loud crowds, I know I heard my dad, I heard my dad at one point, so I know his voice is going to be gone, because I'm like, how on earth did I was able to pick out his voice, you know, so, yeah, uh, just past the finish line, actually, like, before the, one of the first left-hand turns, so, yeah, I'll hopefully be able to catch up with them in a bit. The cycling podcast Femina is supported by Science in Sport. Science in Sport, fueled by science. Thanks very much, um, as ever, to Science in Sport for their support of the cycling podcast in all its forms. If you would like 25% off all your Science in Sport products, go to scienceinsport.com and enter the code SISCP25 at the checkout. And thanks once again very much to Science in Sport. During my week in Flanders, uh, I met Thomas van den Spiegel, the chief executive of Flanders Classics, seven foot tall, two meters, 14 centimeters, uh, former basketball player. Um, you don't you, you, you don't miss him. Did you meet him for a date, around. Richard? It's a, that's what... <laughs> Big, beautiful G eyes. <laughs> Pulling the rose under the clock. G-S-O-H. Um, and yeah, well, we, we, we met for a coffee and... Uh, he uh, told me all about a lot of things. He features at length in my Flanders special for Friends of the Podcast, which is being released this week. But he also had some very interesting things to say, I thought, about women's cycling and the direction it's going in Flanders because there have been some, well, additional races and some changes to the existing races in the Flanders Classic stable. Um, so he says quite a few interesting things here, but let's let's listen to Thomas van den Spiegel on his vision for women's racing uh, within Flanders Classics. The impression over the last few years is that there's been a greater emphasis on women's racing. You've changed the, the, the timetable um, to, to have the women's race continue beyond the finish of the men's race. I mean, what prompted that? And is that part of an ambition that you have to raise the, the profile and the popularity? Um, if I'm really honest, what prompted that was that uh, <laughs> was that Remco Evenepoel was going to be in the Giro last year, in 2020, and the Giro overlapsed with the Tour of Flanders. And I started thinking about that fact and how not to have the Tour of Flanders final <laughs> go against the mountain stage, the King, Queen's Mountain stage in the Giro where we expected Remco maybe to still be. Uh, and suddenly I realized that it was an opportunity um, for women's cycling. To be put in that uh, in that in that gap, um, and it worked out very well for us. We had to convince broadcasters uh, a little bit. We had to start the men very early uh, compared to past years, but um, it turned out to be very successful. And, and I think it's something we need to keep up. We've always tried to be a pioneer for women's cycling. 
not looking for pats on the back, but um, we feel within the women's peloton that it's appreciated what we try to do for women's cycling. Uh, I said earlier we want to be disruptive. Well, I think we've been disruptive with women's cycling as well, and uh, it's not completely our merit that you have a Paris-Roubaix for women next week, but uh, once organizers like us start having st six races, all of the classics, also in a in a women's version, then then ASO can't stay behind, and they have to. Um, so I think I think that's what what we try to do, uh, and I think it's something that we want to keep working for. Uh, uh, and if we're talking about unlocked potential for cycling in general, well, women's cycling, you can feel that uh, it's really moving uh, right now. It's really there's really a, a positive vibe around it. You can feel that the broadcasters, the sponsors, everyone. Uh, uh, is getting more optimistic about it and, and it's, it's taking giant leaps right now so uh, I think uh, it's just good for the sport I guess yeah I mean, you've got involved sometimes on, on Twitter in, in some of the debates around women's cycling because there are I guess the two elements to it there's the doing it because it's the right thing to do but also um, recognizing that there is a business case that there is as you say potential and, and obviously a business that the business of cycling underpins everything that you do do you feel that you know that there is a business case to be made as well for for putting more into the women's side of it i think there is but we're still not there i, I always um i did this on purpose but i always named it investments i never i never said that women's cycling is a cost for us but i see it as an investment that we will be able to recover uh, later on uh a couple of years ago, we had to cover the costs for the for the for the captation uh, for the broadcast ourselves. Today, you can see, you can feel already that the broadcasters are ready to cover that cost. Uh, there's more races on television, so the next step will be that there will be value uh, in TV rights. But more TV also means uh, more attractive for sponsors. Uh, so that, I think that's the steps that women's cycling is taking right now, and and, and it's going in the right direction. Uh, and, and we're very happy to be part of that. Uh, I was in a debate about gender equality in cycling earlier this week, and uh, to conclude, they asked everyone uh, just a, a final conclusion. I said, well, I dream of a standalone Tour of Flanders uh, for women. Uh, standalone, I mean, on a different weekend, uh, uh, 40,000 people on the Quadermont, uh, and then... Uh, that's what we need to strive for. Okay, it's not something that we'll be able to achieve tomorrow or in three years, but that's what we should work towards, uh, and that should be the, the, the long-term ambition. I mean, you see, you're very progressive in a lot of your ideas, and you say uh, you, with your own career you've got this this international out, outlook. I guess our impression, and it's reinforced by some of the comments by Patrick Lefebvre, that there is this very traditional kind of attitude towards cycling here in in. Flanders, it's it's its strength, I guess. It's great strength, the passion, the, the the history that there is here. Is there resistance from certain elements here in Flanders to some of your ideas? Do you feel that that sometimes holds things back or or not? I have the advantage that I come from outside of the sport, <laughs> so that I don't have to I don't have to take into account any traditions, uh, history, uh, relationships with people. I, I'm I can look at it in a very neutral way without being of course I try to change things and people often say what is this basketball player <laughs> doing in cycling and why is he but I think that's an advantage right now and I don't feel like uh, uh, I was with Patrick yesterday and, and 
of course we all know Patrick and how he states things but um, but I, I understood the point that he was trying to make he just said it in a, he said that women's cycling still needs to take uh, a lot of steps which is true and he, he's fighting <laughs> to keep his team alive eh? because uh, three years ago they almost disappeared so um, uh, he might have said it in a in a, in a strange way uh, but women's cycling I think uh, there's there's other teams there's um, en enough teams today there's world teams uh, uh, and it, need, it still needs to develop and it's still it's a young sport we we can't forget it's a really young sport uh, and it's it's taking giant steps uh, over the past three four five years uh, and it, it will keep doing so and I think uh, here in Flanders. Uh, it's not because of tradition or because of... I think people here realize as well that it's the right thing to do right now is to go fully for women's cycling. Well, that was Thomas van den Spiegel, the chief executive of Flanders Classics. And a couple of things stood out for me there. One is his ambition to uh, have a standalone women's Tour of Flanders weekend. So to there's always been this question of how do you remove how do you take the women's race from out, out of the shadow of the men's race and and i think one way they've done that very successfully has been to to move the finale to after the men's race so the women's race starts when the men's race is on but it finishes about an hour and a half after the men's race and that's happened the last couple of years we now know the reasons for that it was to avoid a clash with remco Evenepoel's giro d'italia challenge a couple of years ago but it has been a success i think just from the point of view of um ensuring that people can really watch the women's race and not have it as i put it in another podcast on the split screen effectively which is how it how it was shown when it finished while the men's race was still on and as for this ambition for a standalone women's tour of flanders i think that also is a very i don't know if it's a good idea or not but it's an interesting idea um, I think and it's I w- a good idea. I think it's a great idea. I yeah. love it. And I think it can sustain it. I guess commercially it makes a lot of sense to him if you could have two weekends in yes. which you're making uh, an absolute shed ton of money. I guess commercially, well, it, yeah. commercially What's your reservation, it works that Richard? way. No, no, I, I just wasn't... I, I, you know, I, 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 I can see advantages and disadvantages mm. of it being held at, at the same mm. time. I wonder... But I was, this leads us on to Pirate Bay because... He said an interesting thing, and in, almost in passing, that he wonders whether ASO would have stepped up in the way that they have had the Tour of Flanders not been putting a greater emphasis on women's racing over the last couple mm. of years, which they have. And he's, he made the point that that their efforts have been appreciated with the women's within the women's peloton, and I think that's true. But um, you know, one thing Pyro Bay are doing is is the women's race on Saturday and the men's race on Sunday, and I, I wonder if that is an alternative. I I, I I agree that having it on a separate day is a good idea, but whether you have it on a Saturday with the men's race on a Sunday, I don't mm. know whether that is is better or or a different weekend would be preferable. Yeah, it's something that I'd never really considered before that that would be something that they were trying to achieve. To be honest, I can see doing two races over two days, but I wonder if you move it too much, does it do you lose the character of the of the Tour of Flanders? Because you know, isn't the reason that a lot of people watch the women's Tour of Flanders? part of the because they know all of that history of the men's tour of Flanders and it, it has there are certain things that you're expecting to see you're expecting it to be really hard and big cobbles and it's at a certain time of the year and I don't know if you move it around too much does it not lose some of that magic and the history and 
the I feeling don't think so. It. I think all of that is there, but you get a whole weekend to celebrate the woman and then a whole weekend to celebrate the men. Mm. And I think with the numbers of people who are so desperate for a Flandrian party when it comes around, I definitely think you would have huge crowds for the women's race as well. Imagine it was the weekend before, you know, and get everybody excited about this whole, you know, fortnight of Flandrian racing. I think it would be phenomenal. I'd love to see it. I'd love to see it. And I think as well, it would be an easier thing to point to because I'm quite sure it would be a success, partly because of where it is. Um, um, but I think it would be an easier thing to point to to say there you go that's what women's racing standalone can do so of all races that could do it I think the Tour of mm, Flanders probably is the one mm. I think this weekend is interesting as well isn't it because uh, the women's first ever women's pyrobe I'll be there with Lionel Burney um, ah! to to witness sorry Lorla <laughs> sorry more, more tears more tears from Lorla um, but you know we were just we were just talking earlier about again quite privileged to to witness this piece of history being made this is a race that we've been we've been calling for for so many years and it'll be quite a moment i think when they mm. they roll out of dena on their way to Roubaix and it'll be uh it'll be interesting to see having the having the race on a separate day and um, what kind of impact it has and and you know how much people get i think it's I think it's going to be a success. Um, and, I, and I wonder as well if, you know, we're talking about a separate Tour of Flanders weekend. Th- there was a sort of, you know, strange success in holding the, the Spring Classics in autumn last year. And here we have an autumn Pyru Bay. You know, could you have the Women's Tour of Flanders in autumn? I think only if you had the men's as well. I think you'd want to keep them together. I think you want the same build up and the same excitement. Fair enough. But Just floating the... idea. <laughs> I mean, it's got nothing to do with any of us, is it really? Um <laughs> But one of the interesting things about um, Women's Pyra Bay this weekend, and you're saying you'd be really interested to see the impact, is that ASO aren't providing live coverage of the first time that the women hit the cobbles. And so here we are 125 years after the first men's edition. We've had 117 men's races we have a world of this sport so desperately excited to see what will happen when they hit these cobbles Mm. for the first time and we won't get to see it well unless Lionel and I are standing there with our phones filming it well Eurosport Eurosport are and GCN are actually going to do their own filming of it so we're going to have it um before you don't need need Eurosport GCN we've got iPhones well, yeah, I mean, you, I, you'll get that one moment of them whizzing past. We're hoping to get a bit more than that. That's not. Oh, to, you can that's run. Not to plug get, the coverage. Belittle our efforts. Belittle our efforts. In all seriousness, I find that like sickeningly disappointing. It's, I just what, do. I, that 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 is your moment of history. Yeah, that yeah. is the moment we have been building for. We're building up the whole race, and now. Boom! They're on the cobbles. What is and so I difficult? I find it really sad that that's yeah. not being provided live. What is so difficult about it as well is that um, you know you can. It's more understandable when they're both raced on the same day, mm. and uh, you know there's a certain amount of logistics involved. There's a certain amount of resources that it takes to do it. Uh, but for it to be on a separate day and still not have the coverage that it that it should have. Um, it, it, you know, it does make you question all the other times when they say, oh, no, we can't film that because, you know, the 
the motorbikes are all filming the men's race at that time or blah, blah, blah. Um, it does make you question the le- legitimacy of those kind of excuses normally because there's a perfect opportunity to film. Uh, well, that's the bit that everyone wants to see. I mean, to be honest, uh, you know, that's that's where the races are are won and lost in Paris. You want to watch, at the very, very least, from the cobbles all the way through. That's what you want to watch. Yeah. You want to watch partway through when splits have been made and, and riders have fallen and um, attacks have dropped people. and you, uh, Yeah, you want to watch it from the start of the cobbles all the way through. That's what you, you do, want. absolutely. And there was also disappointing news that the women's tour um, will not be televised live either. I think that's come as a bitter blow to the uh, to the organisers as well. And... and uh, we'll be providing daily coverage from the women's tour with yes. Rose, Woo-hoo! Lizzie Banks and Lionel Burney from Monday. Um, and I know that this is something that Lionel... If we is, have the fuel, that is well, yeah, oh. yeah. If we find some petrol. Yeah, yeah, get yeah. get think, the electric cargo not, bikes. I think that's I was a thinking he's going to be well. like a... So you know, you know my electric cargo bike? Mm. You could just get one of those for the three of you and then just take it in turns to pedal because you could that, fit like... Well, why would we front. take take it in turns, Orla? We have Lizzie Banks. But it's, it's uh, my. It's clearly it's, that she would be the one. But then you'll have to share a bucket with Lionel all the way around the two of Britain. <laughs> so that's up to you. It's my turn to say more seriously, though. Um, it, it is a concern the 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 the, the petrol fuel crisis because not not just for Lizzie. Rose and Lionel, but for the teams, you know, who are yeah, coming over, the yeah, amount of fuel that the convoy gets through every day is extraordinary. So that is a concern, and it's um, causing the organisers a few sleepless nights, I'm sure. But mm. the issue of live TV is one that Lionel has promised to get to the bottom of and cover in the episodes from next week. So, second podcast, Femina, Song, Me and Orla coming from monday when does is, is it that the mo- subtitle is it mo- yeah. monday to saturday rose does it finish on it's saturday? monday yes it does i'm saying that um Confidently. yeah it does yes yeah. I, yeah, it does yeah so that's i'm looking forward to listening yeah oh god wait. pressure oh no dun 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 <laughs> no it'll be it'll we'll be we'll provide uh, you with uh, regular feedback every evening yeah. <laughs> oh yeah it'll be I'm very exciting be, i'm gonna be so listening very WhatsApps. carefully <laughs> very listening, very carefully indeed. Changing a big change of lineup for a, a big event. It's like it's like what you know they tell you not to do. Oh, it's a huge yeah. gamble, no question. Yeah. <laughs> so but some of the biggest gambles pay off, Richard. We could be totally shunted after this. this I mean, could be I'm trying last, to think of an could be last, Yeah, we joked at the on the Christmas special that it we, could have yeah. been your last episode that you were hosting, and it was. And it was. We're joking. This yeah. could be our last episode on the Cycling Podcast Feminine, and it might be. We might be kicked off it by this time next week. So I just want to, I'm joining all the listeners in saying thank you for your years of service, yeah. Richard oh, and yeah, Orla. And like Anna van der Breggen, you know, the you've li- achieved everything you could will have. vote with their ears. <laughs> <laughs> vote with their ears. That's an interesting concept. <laughs> Good luck, Rose. Maybe with their That's fingers first say. and then their ears. Yeah. <laughs> I hope true. it goes well. Through gritted teeth, you're awful. Are you incredibly bitter about missing out on a trip to Clacton when you're getting to go to Flanders and Paris and Roubaix Uh, and whatever? I get to go to Bath again, lovely as Bath is, but I don't know the last time there was a bike race there. But anyway, I'm privileged to be able to cover it, so I'm going to say nothing. Well, let's just end on a high note. What are we looking forward to about Paris Bay in one sentence? The first set of cobbles. <laughs> the first set of cobbles. <laughs> that you'll, that you'll be able to actually watch on our Eurosport coverage. Um, <laughs> yeah. 
Oh, just all of it, all of it, all of it. Well, I'm looking forward to the first winner because I think that's it. it it's so unknown because we haven't really had a women's race on mm. this sort of terrain before, you know, over such extreme cobbles. Um, and it's a proper Paris Bay that they're doing. So I'm looking forward to whoever that first winner is, because again, there'll be history in, in the start, but also to be in the, in the velodrome in Roubaix for the finish. It's always really exciting and, and a brilliant, brilliant stage for the finish of Paris Bay. But on Saturday, there'll be that extra bit of history to it. And whoever wins it will um, will will not be uh, will not be forgotten, will they? And so it comes with a sort of responsibility as well. And I'm looking forward to finding out who that who that person is. Who's the who's the um, who's the cobbled specialist in the women's peloton? We'll find out maybe on Saturday. Be very very exciting. And as you say, then we're topping it off with the women's tour nightly cycling podcast episodes. With me, Lionel and Lizzie. Oh, Lionel and Lizzie, that's going to be hard to... I'm going to have to get used to that instead of saying Richard and Ola. What am I going to do? But, uh, right, well, I'll send you guys on your um, merry way and enjoy your retirements. Um, <laughs> and... Uh, we'll right, be we'll... DSing you from the team car behind Rose. Yes, yeah, oh, God. Oh, oh, how awful. How awful. No, we will be back. Uh, we three uh, witches will meet again uh next month and i guess that's when we'll be talking more in depth about paru bay uh and uh yeah, paru bay let's just talk about paru bay forget the rest so thank you very much richard for joining us just okay thumbs oh, up thanks. doesn't work doesn't sorry. work on an audio form <laughs> oh, sorry i forgot that was I, a forgot. Thumbs up. I forgot to speak Shall I wave? Uh, thank, thanks rose and thanks yeah Orla. and thanks all a good waving from thank all you <laughs> 